you are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with you with the Friar side. And let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I hope you've all had a, a blessed and uh, lovely weekend, and that none of you have uh, um, experienced any 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 damage uh, with the uh, storm um, in our in our church last night at, uh, at Bene- benediction. Um, yeah, it felt quite dramatic, as Father Joseph described it to me. As uh, felt like being being in, in in a boat. It was sort of a massive wooden wooden roof, and when the winds get sort of very high, um, it's almost like you can hear it sort of creaking. Unfortunately, the the actual building isn't isn't moving, but nonetheless, it you do get this uh, really sort of quite tumultuous um, sense. Very much a sort of image in which. Uh, you might expect Jesus to come walking across the waters, and uh, then maybe to just say to you, um, "Why were you? Why were you afraid?" Um, I wasn't actually afraid. I get well. I get more afraid by the fact that we might get a get a get a leak um, or tiles come off because I'm domestic bursar, and it then becomes my responsibility to uh, get it fixed and get it paid for. Um, I'll be I'll be going through our uh, our normal book. Um, in a in a couple of moments uh, a map of life by by frank sheed um but first of all i wanted to tell you about something quite exciting that i'm doing this evening and then tomorrow um those of you who are big fans will, will be aware of this um but the fourth uh, series of the chosen um is being premiered in uh, london's leicester square this evening they'll be broadcasting episodes one and two um, of The Chosen, which is a, a really sort of lovely uh, phenomenon. It's a series sort of directed by uh, an evangelical Christian in the, in the US, Dallas Jenkins, um, and uh, sort of really crowd crowdfunded in the beginning. No no big backing of any of any studios at at the beginning, um, but just through sort of powerful storytelling sort of faithful to the to the gospel but doing some interesting reading but between the between the lines to provide some sort of additional dialogue and and some and some backstories um it's given a really sort of compelling uh visual drama dramatization of the uh the calling of the uh of, of the apostles and then their subsequent sort of entry into into deeper friendship and closer communion with christ and i'd, I'd really recommend it uh, to anyone you know like any any anything that isn't the gospels you know we have to be conscious that it is not the gospel it's uh, it's somebody's interpretation of it uh, but i think it's a pretty good interpretation um there are a couple of issues which is a as a as catholic i'd you know, I take strong issue with, for example, the the perpetual virginity of the, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, but you know, you're forewarned is forearmed. Uh, but I'd still highly recommend watching it. And so I'm going to the debut, uh, the premiere of that this evening with 
uh, Dr. Charles Wilson, our president. Uh, it'd be my first time on the uh, red carpet. I have to say it's not how I imagined going with uh, Dr. Dr. Charles. I'd, I'd imagined if I ever went, it would you know be with a somebody in a in a much prettier dress on my arm. Well, Charles could at least get somebody in in something resembling a dress on his arm. Although I imagine he'd hope for somebody much prettier too, namely his wife. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you for uh, whether you had any questions that you would, uh, if I get the opportunity to speak to any members of the of the cast this evening, especially for the fans, are there are there any questions that you would have me uh, ask them? You can email um, us at info at radiomariaengland.uk. That's info at radiomariaengland.uk. Um, or you can phone the studio on 0300 302 1251. That's 0300 302 1251. Um, so let me know any questions that you would have me get the members of the cast. And, and most especially uh, tomorrow, I have uh, have interviews um, assigned with, uh, with four of them in my first uh, little interview block. I'll be with uh, Elizabeth Tabish and Paris Patel, and they play uh, St. Mary Magdalene and St. Matthew, respectively. And then in uh, my second block of interviews, I'll be with uh, Noah James and Shaha Isaac, who play St. Andrew and St. Peter, respectively. So let me know any questions that you think it would be good to ask them. I'm outsourcing my work to you, but also, you know, I I want I go there on behalf of of Radio Maria and this is your 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 radio station um and so I want to to take your questions uh, to them so do email me on uh, info at radiomariaengland.uk that's info at radiomariaengland.uk or you can call into the studio and that's 0300 302 1251 that's 0300 3021251 and on the the subject of this being your radio um once again to sort of thank you for your for your prayers your your letters of support um that you send your just more general encouragement um and also in a in an absolutely crucial way thank you for your your financial support um you know, if I were to suddenly break off this piece and to go into an advert trying to sell you something, um, I think you'd you'd realise that something fundamental had changed about Radio Maria, and that wouldn't be a good a good thing. This radio is never ever going to be a vehicle to try and sell you stuff, to try and stoke desire in you. But that comes at a at a cost, and that cost falls on you, the the listener, and our supporters. You make possible this radio. You make this possible this place for the the pure proclamation of the gospel, sort of unsullied by commercial interests. So please do be as generous as you as you can um, in supporting this work. And in particular, we have a a new initiative um, for uh, f- for for do- for donors at the moment. What we're calling our two hundred stars campaign and uh, this was inspired by one of our donors and, and, and volunteers uh, Karen in conversation with uh, Charles our president and uh, we 
we're sort of placing ourselves under the patronage of uh, Our Lady of Pontmain, who appeared in the 19th century in the small village of uh, Pontmain in France during the time of the Franco-Prussian War. And she was first seen by two young boys, um, then further children uh, joined them, and, and two, two furthers saw Our Lady appear and uh, she, there was a sort of a gap in, in the stars in the in the sky, and Our Lady gradually came closer, and she had stars on the, her the mantle. And over the time of her appearance, these stars multiplied in number. And so we're asking you to become one of our two hundred stars. That's one one of two hundred people who we're hoping are going to. Uh, Give us either a donation of a, a thousand pounds or or commit for a period of twelve months to giving a hundred pounds a month and if we were to achieve this, it would give us some real security going going forwards um would enable me to sort of focus much more on the sort of broadcasting and 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 our staff more generally on the broadcasting rather than on the fundraising side of things. We still need additional funds to that, but this would provide us with a really good grounding and so uh, I entrust you in your in your deliberations about whether this might be something possible for you for, for many of you I appreciate this it'd just be completely out of the question you know like no way I've got money like that and that's absolutely fine and the last thing in the world I want to do is to make anybody sort of feel guilty or pressurized but there might be for some people who this is um, a, a very real possibility um, or you might know someone, um, and this is what I really want to encourage. You might know someone uh, who who could is in a position to support this radio, and perhaps it's somebody who, you know, with the, the sort of business of their of their work, doesn't necessarily get to listen to a, an awful lot of the radio. But maybe you might send them a, a podcast and or point out a particular program to them and say, "Look, I really love this radio." And I think it's so important that there be a, a Christian Catholic voice on the airwaves. And without this radio, that that won't there won't be one in this country. We we are the only Christian Catholic voice on the air, airwaves in this country. Um, and so, please, if you're if you're not able to to support us yourself, um, please pray that other people might come forward and also. Uh, Please be be bold in approaching people who you think um, might be able to to support it. And we have a an artist who's very kindly um, felt inspired to give of his time and his talent to prepare um, an an image of Our Lady of Palma for us. And uh, as we receive each uh, donation for the the two hundred stars, um, we're going to add. Um, your star, the star of the of the donor, to the uh, to the, to the mantle of Our Lady. So, you know, in a very concrete way, your your star will will appear on her mantle. So, please have a pray about this, and please do spread the the word about it. More details on it are available on our website. That's radiomariaengland.uk, radiomariaengland.uk, and uh, you know we hope that we will be inundated with stars. Um, let's listen now to uh, Salvatore Mundi, sung by the uh, choir of uh, Liverpool Met Cathedral 
and then I will be taking you through the next chapter of Frank Sheed's A Map of Life. listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with the Friar side. We're going to uh, go back into our reading of Frank Sheed's wonderful book uh, Map of Life um, right now. In our last chapter we'd been looking at the mystery of the, the Trinity and Sheed closes that by, by saying that the, the mystery still remains uh, in as much as we don't come to a full comprehension um, of the of the persons of the Trinity and the the life in in the in the Godhead, um, but the mystery has become a, a mystery of rather sort of too much light uh, concepts that are that are too big for us to fully comprehend and and yet which somehow we can uh, relate to. Um, he says the 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 mystery is the invis- invisibility that comes from too much light rather than from sheer 
darkness and you know the experience where the, the light is, is, too, is too bright. Um, and I guess in some ways uh, our experience in, in heaven when we shall see him as he really is will be our eyes adjusting to the, the great light. Um, the next chapter begins uh, straight from the, the beauty of, uh, of the Trinity into its uh, antithesis in some ways because we look at sin. Um, but we look specifically at law and sin. And she begins by saying that Christ summarized the duty of us in two phrases, love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. And really the, the Christian life is this simple, um, but it's our, our fallen, broken natures and our, and our sin and the, and the complexity that, that sin brings into our lives that make the living out of love God and love thy neighbor so difficult. Um, you know, perhaps the, the, the Beatles, um, when they sang sort of all you need is love, thought that they were onto something genuinely uh, revelatory. Um, and uh, you get people walking around with t-shirts on saying, you know, just be kind. Um, but the reality of human existence is that to be kind to, to someone actually turns out to be a lot more complicated than we realize. Is it kind to give to the, uh, the drug addict so that he can get more money to get drugs? Um, is it kind to affirm somebody in a delusion? Um, is it loving to uh, follow your, your passions and abandon your wife and, 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 and family um, for the sake of another woman who you feel deeply in love with? Um, love, it turns out, is a lot more complicated this side of uh, heaven. But Jesus, we cannot have the supernatural life. That's the, the life of, the, of, of God given to us by grace in us we cannot have the supernatural life if we do not love god and our neighbor um, so we know the we know the opposite of what uh, fullness of the christian life consists in we know very much what is not to love god and we know what it is not to love our neighbor but love she says must express itself in act and so our lord left us not only the summarization but also a great body of detailed rules concerning things to be done as an expression of the twofold love and things to be avoided as contrary to it. These then are the laws established by God for the guidance of man's actions, the means by which men can learn what the laws are and certain practical problems to which they give rise. Um, so let's, let's think about that. The purpose of all of God's law is to help us love God better or to love our neighbor better. And so if we want to get, if we see some sort of law of the, of the church um, and we want to come to an, to an understanding of it, then the proper sort of question to ask is, how does this help me to, to love better? And when we ask that question, things which might initially just appear unduly re restrictive um, then sort of take on a new light and we come to an understanding of them. So for example, the, the law of the, of the church and that we have to go to mass each Sunday 
Um, isn't that terrible when the weather's not that nice outside and my bed is warm and it's oh so cold outside? Well, the reason I'm told to go to Mass each Sunday is because that's a minimal way of me expressing my love for God. Um, and if I'm not prepared to go to the, to, to the church when I could go to the church, not prepared to do that simply because I prefer the warmth of my, of my bed to the, the cold of the, the church or the cold of the journey there, well then in a very real way I have to ask myself to what degree do I love God? And then also it's a, it's a training in loving our neighbor um, because when we go to a, a vibrant, buoyant church, um, there's a there's a there's a joy there um, that's not present in a in a church in which the the numbers are dwindling and very few people come anymore. That's not to say it's not worthwhile going to a sort of church which is very few numbers, and there can be a, a beautiful intimacy in a in a small mass. But but nonetheless. When I when I go to church, I, I love my neighbour by giving them my presence there, at the at the mass. Um, so any any law which might at first appear negative or, or restrictive upon us in some ways, ask yourself the question: How might this help me to love God? How might this help me to love my neighbour? Um, and then I think you'll get to a better understanding of it and come to appreciate it, its truth and its goodness. Nasheed says that sort of with regards to what is loving and what's not loving, um, this, we perhaps, you know, why do we need all these rules? Why does Jesus need to tell, tell us all these things? Is this not what conscience is for? And he says it is absolutely true that a person must in all circumstances follow their conscience. But an investigation of conscience will show us that by itself it's not sufficient. That we haven't got within ourselves an infallible teacher as to what is right and wrong. And in order to establish the, the truth of this, we just need to go to our memories and think about times where what we did in the moment thinking it was right thinking it was the good and the loving thing transpired not not to be we can see that that our conscience is not infallible and we have some need of help uh, without ourselves some help from outside of ourselves and he says conscience is not a faculty or a permanent part of man it is loose speaking he says to say I have something on my conscience. It would be more accurate to say, I have something on my soul. There is the same difference between conscience and soul as there is between a punch and a fist. I really like that. The punch is an action of the fist, a thing the fist does. Um, so there you have the fist, and the fist is, well, is always there. Well, in a sense, the hand is always there. The clenched hand becomes the fist, um, and then the punch is what the fist can do but the fist doesn't have to punch so the punch isn't always there whilst the fist is similarly the conscience is an action of the soul it's a thing the soul does it's a judging faculty precisely defined he says conscience is the tactical moral judgment of the intellect being simply the soul itself considered in its activity of knowing things 
So the conscience is it's not something that's there all the time. Rather, conscience is is an act of judgment. It's what we what we do in deciding how to behave, particularly where there is a moral component to this behavior. Whenever I'm asked the question, she says, the, uh, the answer is a judgment of my intellect. Now, the intellect makes many judgments, and conscience only differs from the others by its special scope. So he says, if I answer the question, did Richard III murder the princes in the tower? My answer is a judgment of my intellect, but it's a purely historical judgment, um, and one perhaps very much informed by William Shakespeare, um, who did so much to, uh, according to some, tarnish the, tarnish the memory of Richard III. But our judgment on whether Richard III murdered the two princes, that's not an act of my conscience. It's not a moral judgment. If the question is changed to, ought Richard III to have murdered the princes? My answer is again a judgment of my intellect, but this time it's a moral judgment. It's a judgment on right and wrong. But it is not my conscience, for it is not a practical moral judgment. That is to say, it is not concerned with what it would be right for me to do here and now. But... If the question is again changed to, ought I to murder the man next door whose manners are so maddening, the answer is not only a judgment of my intellect and a moral one, but also a practical one. In other words, conscience is the answer given by my soul when I am faced with a question. What ought I to do? What would it be right for me to do in this particular matter. Let's now uh, go to uh, a little bit more music and then we will discuss the, the conscience in a little more detail. But just to, just to summarize, the conscience is an, is an act of my intellect concerned with the moral life in the way that it relates to my action.
Hello, you are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with the Friarside. And we are currently reading Frank Sheed's book, A Map of Life. And we'd just uh, got into thinking about law and sin. Um, first and foremost, why do we need law? When the, when the Christian life is as simple as love God and love my neighbor as love myself, why do I need laws on top of that? And one of the things that we've said is because in the particularities of our life, it can be sometimes hard to judge uh, what, um, what the way, the best way of loving God is in that moment and what the best way of loving my neighbor as I love myself is. And then we might say, but isn't this precisely why we've got a conscience in order for us to be able to make up our own minds in those situations about what the, the loving thing to do is. And so Sheed has begun to discuss what the, uh, what the conscience is. And he said it's a, a practical judgment of the intellect about what is the, the good thing for me to do in any particular given situation. Um, so he said it's diff it's it's different from other judgments of the intellect in that it's not just a general moral decision. Um, it's not some uh, matter of historical judgment. It's not a matter of what uh, tastes um, nice or what is nutritious, but rather it's a judgment um, that relates to the sort of question, um, although hopefully such trivial uh, questions aren't, uh, well, such trivialities aren't causing us to... Uh, consider entering into such serious sin but an example of the sort of question he gives is ought i to murder the man next door whose manners are so maddening why isn't conscience a sufficient guide though it would be much easier if it were surely well he says that conscience isn't a sufficient guide because conscience is a judgment of our intellects and therefore, like any other such judgment, it can be wrong. Really annoying being wrong, isn't it? And being quite so easily and capable of being wrong. And so the problem is for any given person, our conscience is not universally infallible. Sometimes it gets it right, and sometimes as painful memories bring to mind, it gets it wrong. And yet it is often firm and definite in its answer. We can feel in that given moment um, that, yes, this is the right thing to, to, to do. And, and sometimes, particularly uh, with sort of central sin, the, uh, it's our, our conscience, in a sense, or our, our, our intellect's true ability to, to reason well is overcome by our passions, overcome by our, our, the strength of our, of our bodily desire um, one way or, or, the, or the other. So like fear might hold us uh, back from doing the, the, the right thing um, or sort of uh, lust might uh, push us forward into, into doing the wrong, the wrong thing. And, and both these uh, emotions can be so powerful that... Uh, they not sort of only um, hold us back from doing the good thing or um, make us do the, the wrong thing, but they actually overwhelm the intellect and they overwhelm the, uh, the, 
the the faculty of the intellect the the conscience into thinking that the bad thing is in fact good or the good thing is in fact bad and so given this fact that the soul, that the conscience can be firm and definite in its answer um but that an answer can be firm and definite and yet wrong by what standard do we judge how do we determine what is right and wrong if we have no teacher outside of ourselves? By what standard do we decide what is right? And as she says, and hopefully it won't come as a surprise to us, the answer is that the law of God is imprinted on our nature, and it's by this which we judge. In other words, God's laws uh, for us are not something totally outside our nature. They correspond to something that God has already placed in our nature. Um, and if this uh, argument sounds, sounds familiar, um, this is what we often refer to as the natural law. This idea that God has imprinted the, the truth of things upon our heart. And so that certain things are, are discoverable, um, certain things all people of good will can come to know with uh with 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 surety if they genuinely desire truth um because these things are not just not just cultural they're not just time-based but rather they're eternal matters of human truth and these are um the contents of the of the natural law i would say are summarized in the ten commandments in that any person of goodwill should be able to come to the realization that to uh, that to steal is wrong, that to murder is wrong, that uh, to commit uh, adultery is wrong. But the problem is, um, there always seems to be a problem, isn't there? Uh, she points out that in the course of time, our nature has grown distorted and all sorts of in all sorts of ways, and any distortion in our nature will mean a distortion in the thing imprinted on it. So to give an example of what he means by that, the moon falling on a perfectly still lake will give a perfect image of itself. But if you let the lake be ever so little ruffled, the image will be broken up into small pieces. And let the lake be really ruffled, say by the sort of storms that we were having last night, and the image will be no more than broken sparkles of light scattered here and there. It's still the image of the moon that is being projected upon the lake, but no one looking at the lake could form from their looking at the lake a proper, a proper idea of the moon. And so thus, even when the distortion is greatest, no man's nature is without some trace of God's law still imprinted, but the more distorted our nature becomes, the harder it becomes to read. And so if we could take the general consensus of the conscience of the human race as a whole, it would probably be found to be in accord with the greater part of the natural moral law. But individual conscience, though probably also in major accord, is apt to show startling variations from country to country and from man to man. And here, here we see that an idea. Sheed um, 
and this is the the Catholic Church's understanding, has a genuine uh, genuine positive view of human nature. Um, we do not have the the doctrine that uh, that some uh, churches hold that after after the the original sin, our nature become became utterly depraved. No, rather the 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 goodnesses of the image and likeness of God remained within us. Um, but sin distorts it. Sin means that that image, like the uh, the image of the the lake on the the image of the moon on the lake, um, has become ruffled. And so, in any given decision, whilst our, our desire still remains to to do the good, um, we can get it wrong. Um, and this means that we have need for help outside ourselves. And so she says, even on matters which simply the concern the right use of man's nature, conscience lacking information from without can give contradictory answers. And we'll know this when we've been gathered in a group of people and there's some sort of moral conundrum, uh, that it's not that everybody instantly uh, comes to the, the same assessment of what must be done or what uh, must not be done. Um, it can be very often the, the case that people very quickly come to a very firm but different assessment of what is the good thing to do in this situation. And she says, on the most important questions of all, those which are concerned with our supernatural destiny, the unaided conscience can give no answer at all. On the question, ought I to divorce my wife? Conscience apart from God's teaching gives different men different answers. But on the question, ought I to be baptized? Conscience apart from God's teaching gives no man any answer. If then there is no teacher capable of giving us God's law, we are left with nothing but this internal judgment of our own, which on the most obvious questions is capable of being wrong, and on the most important questions can only be silent. A man must follow his conscience the judgment of his intellect as to what is right and wrong. But the very supremacy of conscience renders it vital that conscience should be instructed. Think about this, something so important as conscience. If I take my life and what I do seriously, then I want to do the good. I don't want to do the bad. Um, and so I should want my conscience to have the best possible teacher it can have. Um, pride should get out of the way and humility instead say, let me be taught by the person best placed to guide me. And so she says, consider our position. There is in us no internal faculty that tells us with either certainty or completeness in every situation that can arise what things are right and what wrong. Yet without such knowledge, how can we act as to reach our goal? The task of achieving the end for which we are created is like any other task. It must be done in the right way. Certain actions are going to help this achievement and certain will hinder it. And we can only know which is which if we are told. God who has made us has told us. His church which enunciates his truths likewise enunciates his laws. 
And nor is this to override, to run roughshod over conscience. Conscience isn't annulled in this way. Conscience is the practical moral judgment of the intellect. And the intellect which knows that the church is giving God's law will naturally judge that it is right. The Catholic who unquestioningly accepts the moral law as taught by the church is following his conscience unswervingly. That's a really, really important note to finish on. Our submission of our intellect to the church's judgment. But that doesn't mean the abandonment of our intellect. Um, it means something uh, rather nobler, something more important. Mm-hmm.